Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta Yerdena Osband, our daf of the day, Masachet Kitubot, daf Sadi Zion, page 97. So I'm going to take Ahmed Aleph today. Yerdena, you're going to take Ahmed Bet with its two Mishnayot. Um, Ahmed Aleph is, I would say, thematically linked in that we have several different cases about what happens when um, one is entitled to get some measure of money, right? And one sells the property in order, one gets property, no, let me say this better, one sells property that you're allowed to sell, that one is entitled to sell, because one needs the money. But then what happens after that? So the first case is a case of a ketubor, in this case, the case of a widow. How does she sell her property? So what happens? She sells her the husband's, her late husband's property every 12 months. And then the buyer who purchased the property gives her money every 30 days. Meaning, I think nowadays we would think of this as some kind of installment plan, right? And Rav Yehuda has a different timetable, but it's the same concept, right? That the idea that she's selling it, she's selling it in, I, I think even maybe we would call this renting today, right? Except for that it seems to be an actual transaction. And of course, then the question is, um, you know, who has what rights to when, right? But the the gist of this Gemara is really talking about what is the time frame that she sells it how often and she gets payment every how often. And then that's the money, right? That's her her daily living, functioning money, right? Then the Gemara wants to know, And this, I think, is a fascinating dilemma, right? They say to Rav Sheshet, if a woman sells her property property for the same kind of way, right? Meaning so that she can have money to live. What happens? Um, can she then go and claim, right, to repossess those same properties that she herself has sold as the payment for the ketubah, right? Meaning if the husband had sold the property to somebody else, the widow could come and repossess it as payment for a ketubah. But if she's the one who has sold it, can she do so? And this, I think, is about as Gemara-ish a question as I have ever heard, right, in terms of the the logic of it, you know, the finagling required to come to this logic. Um, okay, so I, but I want to jump down now to the to the next kind of case. So let's say somebody sells properties because he needs the money, and then turns out he didn't need the money. Does the sale itself right? He he sold them not quite as a mistake, but his judgment was wrong. Right? Can he reverse it? when he realizes he doesn't need it, or is the sale a done deal? To what extent does that does that sale, you know, have a life of its own that now it has has been enacted and he doesn't have the right to say, let's take it back. So the Gemara is going to answer it with a story, or with a case, I guess. Tashma, there is a man who sold land to Rav Papa, he needed to buy, he needed cash to buy oxen. In the end, he didn't need that cash. He came back, you know, to Rav Papa. You know, what can I have it back? Whatever Rav Papa gave him back the land. 
But the Gemara says the Rav Papa acted in a way that went beyond what he was required to do. Meaning it's very nice of Rav Papa to be able to, to, to sell it back to him, but he wasn't obligated to, right? Like his, the, the seller's um, change in circumstances does not, according to this piece, does not affect the deal. The buyer can always say, sure, I'll be nice. I'll let's go back on it. But, you know, it's a kind of thing where there's no obligation to there's no insurance policy, let's say, that would protect um, the seller from his change of circumstances. If Rav Papa had wanted to keep that land. Tashma, we've got another story, another case. There was a drought in Naharda'a. Everybody sold their mansions, meaning they sold their property, they sold their homes, and they seem to be wealthy homes, right? For the sake of buying food, wheat, whatever, whatever it was that was going that was going to get them through the drought. And then in the end, they wheat came, right? They they didn't need to go to those um great extent, the those great lengths to acquire the same wheat. So Rav Nachman said to them, you have to give those mansions, you have to return the, the homes to the original owners. Meaning, in this case, it seems that Rav Nachman is saying that the, because the need for that cash was null and void, right? It's gone. Then it seems that the seller who no longer needed the money no longer really enacted the sale. The issue, I think, is a little bit different in this case. First of all, because it's a you know a worldwide or an uh, an area wide crisis. So Gemara says the sale was an error; it was a mistake. Meaning, they knew that there was a ship of wheat that was on the way, and it was in. And had they known that it was like right there in the river coming to them at the time that they made that sale, then they never would have done so. You know, it was, it was, uh, they didn't even know the circumstances that were really behind, you know, the, they didn't know their own circumstances. So their basis of understanding for going through with the sale was in error. So therefore, it's not quite the same thing as their circumstances changing because, because, I don't know, they, they found some buried treasure, right? Like, and so therefore their circumstances changed. In this case, it was a kind of thing that was really just a matter of timing. And had they but only had a little bit of extra information, nothing would have happened to begin with. So these cases, on the one hand, they have opposite conclusions, but also the details that make them uh, cases to begin with um, are different enough that I'm not sure that they really contradict each other because because that's you know they're different enough in this way. Um, and Rav Na- uh, Rami Barshmuel wants you know asked Rav Nachman about this right like if if there's an error at the time of the transaction, so is that the reason, right? Is the reason that it was a, a, like a ta'ut, there was a mistake to begin with, or does he think that any time you change your circumstances, you can recant on a sale? And he says, in Rav Nachman says, um, is it so common that there's a drought every day? Meaning this was special circumstances. The case of the Narada drought was a, was. Meaning, yes, there's a there's a drought in Narda as a frequent as a frequent occurrence, but it still seems to be a, a special circumstance. The Gemara says, But because of that, because the drought is common enough in Narda, it is used here as a proof to support the idea 
that the halacha is, meaning as psak halacha, that if somebody sold properties for whatever specific need, and then in the end did not have that specific need, the sale is reversed. I, I don't know why that would protect the buyer ever, right? Meaning somebody comes to buy the home, you would not as a stopgap safety measure protecting people who are in the throes of drought, but otherwise to say, well, I no longer need the money, so therefore I'm taking back my sale. I feel like that would be a really lousy kind of way to have business put into effect. It kind of flies in the face, the opposite direction of things like Prisbal and so on. But this is where the Gemara ends. Um, yeah, I mean, I think what we're seeing here is, on the one hand, they're trying to make rules. But on the other hand, there everything seems to be very case-specific. And so it's a little bit difficult for the Gemara. You know, the mission of works in generalities, and then it's up to the Gemara to sort of come and give specific examples where it's like, well, this little detail is different and that little detail is different. And that's why we, the Pesach is this way. And that's why we rule this way. So I think it's interesting to see sort of this chain of like going from Mishnah to like how this actually played out for the Amorayim themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really interesting when we get this kind of detail of, it's not just the case. It's also this, it's not just the case law. It's also the case. Exactly. All right, so we're going to have two missions to wrap up this stuff. Uh, the one is on the bottom of Amad Aleph. So we have a widow, whether she's widowed just from having betrothal or from completing both steps to marriage, she can sell her husband's property when not in court. A widow from Nisuin, from, you know, both from full marriage, can sell not in court. But one, a widow just from betrothal does have to sell it in court. Why? Because she's actually not entitled to sustenance from that estate. And so therefore, uh, she gets her ketuba, we know, right, on his death. But if she doesn't get mizonot, we make her sell in the court. And I get the idea basically is to make sure she's not taking something uh, you know, that she didn't. And so then the Gemara goes on uh, to give a, a, a reason, right? A difference, you know, what, what the reason is for the Eresin. Amar Ula Mishum Khina. Ula says because of desirability. In other words, they wanted, um, uh, you know, they do a few things uh, for women so that men uh, will want to uh, marry them. Um, and so that's why, uh, you know, and Rabbi, and Rabbi Yochanan says it's so that a woman doesn't want his wife to have to actually go to court. And it discusses a little bit what the difference is between these two. Um, the, and then they also bring a Mishnah uh, from, a, from a Gemara later on, from later on uh, uh, that we're actually going to do the next Mishnah. It's kind of funny, actually, the way they do this. They do Tanana Grusha Lotim Kor Elababetin, which is actually our next Mishnah. <laughs> but they sort of cite it as a proof here. So just pay attention to that. So now we'll get on to that next Mishnah here. Machra Ketubata O Miksata. So let's say a woman sold all or part of her Ketuba. Mishkana Ketubata O Miksata. Or she mortgaged all or part of her marriage contract, you know, Ketuba. Not not or or let's say she gifted her ketuba all of it or you know part of it to somebody else. 
Lotim Korachar Elabibetin. She can only sell the remainder in court. The Chachamim Omrin, Mocherdi Afilu, Arbaa Bachamisha Pamim. And the rabbis say she can sell it four or five times, right? She doesn't actually have to sell everything at once. She can sell it, you know, in little pieces, basically. Right. And even if she sells it several times, she still sells for her mizonot, even when not in court. Um, the Kotebet, and she writes basically in the bill of sale, I sold it so that I could get my sustenance. Ugrusha, this is the part that was quoted before, but a divorcee is only allowed to um, uh, is only allowed to sell in court. And the Gemara's first question is a classic Gemara question. Who is this actually like? Right? Uh, Rabbi Shimon. So they hold that it's like Rabbi Shimon and they quote a Bryce here, Zitanya. Rabbi Shimon says if she sold all of her ketubah or mortgaged it or made her ketubah as a repayment to somebody else, she doesn't get mizonot anymore. Debre Rabbi Mayer. That's what Rabbi Mayer says. Rabbi Shimon says, Rabbi Shimon says, even though she's not sold or mortgaged her entire ketubah, but only half of it, even if she only sells a little bit of it, she loses her right to her mizonot, and therefore she can only sell the rest of her contract, uh, the rest of her ketubah in court itself. And then they go on the rest of the top to explore a little bit more uh, what actually Rabbi Shimon says. So I think part of what we're seeing here is, is that the ketubah is actually... It, it, it's it's a value. Um, it's a means for either a, 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 an almana, whether it's from a rusin or nisuin, or for a grusha. But we do have sort of some uh, regulation as to how that you know uh, that is allowed to be used, the ketubah, and to be sold because it is it's it's basically it's a it's it's I'm not coming up with the right word, Anne, but it, it's it's not property. But it's an asset. Think that's the word I'm thinking of. It's an asset, um, but how that asset is sold and the transactions around that asset. Sometimes it has to be done in abating. Sometimes it does not have to be done in abating, and that is dependent on whether the woman also has her other asset of mizono. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think it's also interesting how you know the bit of the gemara, the first bit of the gemara that I read at the top of our daf again, leads into the topic of these Mishnaya, which are at the end of, the, you know, the I'm a bed of the duff. And again, I will repeatedly and continually marvel at the um, the strength of the organization of the Gemara by those who put it together, because it's a really big challenge to line it up so, so thematically connected. Yeah, and, uh, you know, again, it's interesting to see on the one hand, this all of this is to protect the woman or to give her a certain type of asset in marriage. But yet, I think they're also sensitive to, they want to make sure this is not actually abused. And therefore, there are some regulations about the court itself. But it's also court interesting itself. to see that sa- sales could be done outside of court. You know, like, I guess people just privately sold things to each other. As, as happens. Yeah, as happens, right? And that sometimes it has to go through court itself. Well, that's our top discussion for the day. Rank us reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. 
Let us know what you thought about the stuff in our Talking Time on Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. 